Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Purple Insider is presented by Oakley. Express yourself. Build a look that's made for you. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Try it for yourself. Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality. So head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Matthew Collar here, and I know a man who has missed those words, Jeremiah Searles, former Minnesota Viking. I hope you're having a good summer, man. What's going on, Jeremiah? Uh, it's so good to hel- hear the hello welcome again. It's been it's been too long. It's been too long. It's been a great summer. Super busy as always, but no busy is good. Um, but just good to be back here, back here with you and talking a little Vikings ball. I put my entire heart into it. I just knew I how much that that, that means so, to you. I love it so much. So we've been going through a random old game series as part of summer content because, you know, we got a few weeks until things really get going. And then it'll be super intense and we'll be analyzing every move by the, you know, third string nickel corner and so forth at training camp. But uh, for now, though, we get to have some fun, take a look back at some things. And of course, you know, being that you're a part of the podcast, 2017 had mm. to be involved mm-hmm. in this discussion. So I looked through your game log and I wanted to go with some games where you were in the game uh, and that maybe you played well uh, and, of course, some Vikings wins. But when I was thinking back on 2017, I was thinking about the early part of the season when it really swung, when there was this like momentum of, oh, this thing could be really something. And uh, you can tell me if you kind of agree with the selection. I went with week five and six in Chicago and Green Bay. Chicago, we're kind of pairing these two old games together. Chicago is where Case comes off of the bench and leads a victory. And then Green Bay is where Aaron Rodgers gets hurt. And maybe you could tell me kind of the vibe. Because coming off 2016 season, it was a real roller coaster. 5-0 and and then missing the playoffs. And then the two and two start Bradford getting hurt early. I don't remember feeling at all like this team is going to the NFC championship. What was the sense kind of uh, going into those games inside the locker room? Yeah. You know, the two and two thing for us was we were at this kind of breaking point of like, well, what's this, what's this actually going to be? You know, for me, it was like, is this going to be another debauchery where everything just goes to hell or like, are we actually gonna be able to turn it? And a lot of that was built on, like, can Case take us to where we need to go, right? Because we got to see Sam day in and day out. I mean, the dude's rehab was literally like stand up off the toilet, sit back down on the toilet. Like, can you do it or can you not? You know, and that was just kind of where he was at. And so, you know, you go into it all a camp and everything, and then Case kind of a guy that everyone on the team loved. You know, everyone knew, and he knew his role. He wasn't trying to be like, oh, I'm better than Sam Bradford. I'm just going to come in here. Like, he knew, okay, I'm here to be the back of quarterback support role. But then when he walked in there and started doing some swagger and, like, we kind of morphed our offense too, right? Like, 
he brought a bit of a mobility factor, right? We knew Sam, like, he could run, but at the same time, like, it was going to be like, okay, get down as soon as you can. You know, but Case actually brought this kind of mobility factor, and so we kind of started morphing our offense. Like, okay, we can have some quarterback run, like, a little bit more to it, but really we're just going to kind of figure this out as we go. And then once we start building momentum, because we knew our defense was going to be fine. Like, that was never a question, right? We're like, well, we know if we score, like, 17, we're probably going to have a chance to win just about every game. You know, but then we really started clicking on everything, you know, and then everything started going right. You know, and that for us, we needed a few things to just start going right for us because so many of us were on that team were returning from 2016 that we knew how many things went wrong in 2016, right? And as soon as things started clicking and going right, that's when we as a, as a team really felt like, okay, we have kind of lightning in a bottle here, right? Guys are on last contracts. Guys are young, kind of a good blend of everything. Like we have to make the most out of this. And as a team, that was kind of what we looked at and how we felt about the season was like, this group's not going to be together again, right? It's not. Like, we need to take it and make the most that we can, and that really kind of started there that weeks five, six, seven, and then just continued to build. Yeah, that's funny because in going into 17 was also uh, the last year of some rookie contracts for some really important players, and we were talking about how, like, well, they're not going to be able to keep all of these guys, and they ultimately did because Rob Brzezinski abused that salary cap to make sure that they could get everybody in and then, of course, fit Kirk Cousins as well, but we had a sense at the time early on, like, oh, they'll probably extend Bradford. That's going to be very expensive. And then they'll have to let go uh, Daniel Hunter or something. And uh, obviously they ended up working all around that at the cost of later on. But just going back to the, the beginning of the season, Sam Bradford ignites the New Orleans Saints in a game that Vikings fans still talk about because it was also reflective of how he looked in that training camp. And so like, okay, this thing might be special with him with these receivers and Diggs and Thielen had emerged in 2016. It was kind of one of the most important things that happened. So he comes up, lights it up. Dalvin Cook has an incredible uh, debut game in week one. And then he goes down. Keenum's first two out of his three games were really not good. Uh, the game against Pittsburgh was a struggle. There was an attempted Ryan Quigley pass in uh, <laughs> Pittsburgh. And then uh, uh, against Tampa Bay, he goes absolutely ballistic. He's throwing just balloons to Stefan Diggs, but Tampa Bay was horrible. And then there's the loss against uh, Detroit. So two out of the first three games are not so good. And, and then Bradford is coming back. Now, this was a weird situation, though, with Bradford, like you mentioned, because when he, it was really mysterious. Is he going to come back at all? When's he going to come back? Mike Zimmer is making fun of us and saying he doesn't have a crystal ball. Did you guys think that he could start that game? Because from the very outset of seeing the way he was reacting, it was like, uh, he shouldn't really be playing right now. And they got very uh, upset with all of us for writing and reporting that Sam never should have played. But I, I guess I wonder what the sense was about his health going into that game from you guys. You know, we were relying on Sam to tell us if he could do it or not, right? And that's kind of how you always have to be. You never want to walk up to a guy. The only, the only time you walk up to a guy and be like, hey, you shouldn't play is with a concussion. Right. That's the one time as a player you feel like you can step across that bound and be like, dude, give me your helmet. Go find some dark room to sit in for a while. Like your brain is your brain. Right. But at one point in time, like the NFL can't have the track mentality of I have to feel 100 percent if I can go out there. Right. And so every player is different on a pain threshold, 
every player is different on what they feel. Hey, I can do this. I can't do this, you know, and through the week we were like, okay, maybe Sam can get to the week. He'll be able to take a toward all shot. He'll feel all right. He'll be able to good to go, you know, and he was very limited through the week, obviously. And, you know, practices, you can't replicate game speed in practice, you know? And so in practice, he looked okay. He looked like he was moving around doing things, you know, but he also never got hit, you know, and we knew going into that game that they were going to pressure him. Right, like, hey, let's try and get Sam to move off his spot. Let's try and see if we can get him to go one way or the other and maybe hit him a few times, see if that knee can really work. And if I recall, early in the game, he got smoked, right? And so, like, that, once we saw him starting to kind of limp around and not be able to move, and, like, I remember a few times, like, the guy got close to him, he just kind of fell down, mm-hmm. right? And it was like that for us at that point, we were like, okay, Sam can't, Sam can't do this right now. And he said it. He was even like, I, I, I'm hurting the team. Right. But really, it, you leave that up to the player. You leave that up to the player and the training staff and the coaching staff to have a discussion. And it also comes down to you have to kind of think, is Sam Bradford at 85 percent better than Case Keenum at 100 percent? And, you know, there's a there's something that goes back and forth with that because there still was the idea of like, well, Sam still could be the Sam from week one. And if he's even at 90 percent of Sam of week one, that's still pretty damn good. Right. And so I think that was more of the feeling, but it really wasn't until about, I think the second quarter or halftime when we were like, Hey Sam, it's, it's probably time. And he was the first one that really came over to the side. I was like, Hey, I'm not helping the team, you know? So that was kind of how that whole discussion went there. And then it was more scramble mode of like, well, we just got to find a way to get in here and win this game with whatever pieces we do have. Right. Yeah. So he takes a safety early in the game and there was a sack early, early on, where he does go down and doesn't even get touched, just like, I I can't do this. And there's no way to play in the NFL if that's where you're at. And he stayed in for a couple more drives after that. And that that was more of the criticism. It wasn't, I think, anyone on the outside trying to say, oh, you shouldn't have played him because we don't know about the week leading up to it. We don't know how he felt. We don't know what the training staff said to him or his personal doctor or whatever. But as soon as he couldn't even take a hit in the pocket, that makes it pretty much impossible. Even as quick as his release was, as good as he was at getting the ball on a check down to uh, Kyle Rudolph or something, um, it's, it's the, it became apparent that this was a dangerous situation for his future, and yet they still went out a couple more drives. Now, this is what you talk about with that team in particular, where anything that happened offensively that wasn't good, a lot of times it didn't matter because the defense is so good in that game. So Case doesn't come in until, I believe, is it the last drive of the first half? or, yep. the, fir- or yeah, yeah, the last drive a, of the first half. I think half. it was a two-minute drive, <laughs> yeah. two drive at the end of the half. Yes, yes. And then it comes down that it gets a Kai Forbath field goal and kind of goes from there. But when he comes in the game, now there's nothing the, the funny thing about watching this game back is there's nothing spectacular that Case Keenum does in this game. But it's a screen pass to Jarek McKinnon. It, it's uh, short throws to Kyle Rudolph, but his ability, we always think of him as scrambling around like against the Rams and just heaving it up like that. This was actually the game Mike Zimmer wanted from him. It seemed like him coming off the bench made him play in a sort of conservative fashion that really worked for the moment in Chicago. Yeah, you know, I'll say this is a guy that came off the bench a lot. When you come off the bench, you kind of just black out. Like you don't really like you didn't have the full week to prep and and dive deep in and you know you're not the starter. You know you're preparing like you are, but there's not that pressure to prepare like you're a starter. And so when you just kind of come in off the bench, you're just playing ball. 
like some of my best games, my best graded out games and like my personal best games, I felt like were games that I came in off the bench and just rolled and just played, you know? And so I think case coming in off the bench, you know, you don't come in and you're not super comfortable like timing wise with deep, long developing routes or those type of things. And also, you know, you kind of shift to the play caller will then shift to, okay, I know these are the things that case is comfortable with. Right, let's put him in winning situations. Let's try and sustain drives, right? And then maybe, like you said, we can have a swing pass there, a screen pass that can go for 20 and, and flip the field, and then we'll punt, right? Those are, I mean, you're obviously always going to score, but I think Case came in and just understood, hey, the play caller is going to put me in good situations. I just need to manage the game here. No turnovers. Try and not take sacks, you know, but the most important thing is take care of the football. And I thought he did a really nice job of that. And that kind of was the blueprint that we used for at least that first kind of quarter that case was starting, right? Things started to open up a little bit more after that, but a lot of it was like, Hey, just be a great game manager, be a great game manager. Don't turn the ball over, make plays on third down when we need you to either using your legs or your arms. And then let's let our defense do their thing. We should mention that it was three to two at halftime, which is just tremendous because this was also was it uh, Monday Mitch, night. Was it Monday night? Yeah, it, yeah, was, it was on Monday, television. It was Monday, Monday night football in front of the nation, <laughs> and uh, Mitch Trubisky's first start as well. And he looked, you know, pretty shaky early on there. He was he was trying to do exactly what you were talking about, getting rid of the ball quickly and things like that, running a little bit. But it was clear that the guy was very overwhelmed by the defense. So Keenum comes out to start the second half, leads a touchdown drive to Kyle Rudolph to go up 10 to two in, in this game. And then uh, do you remember, by the way, you played 10 snaps. Do you remember yes. like how that happened? Yeah. I'm pretty sure Nick Easton snapped his ankle um, or rolled his ankle or had some type of ankle injury. Like as they were, as we were going in to score to go up. And so I had to run in there left guard right at the end of the game, super cold, no warm up. All I had done is field goal the entire game. And again, just kind of went out there. It was like, okay, there's Pernell McPhee. There's Mitch Unrein. Like, all right, time to – I remembered – and I remember my first play, actually. We ran a naked, um, and it was a play action, and we all sprinted out to the left, and I ended up going out there and getting a kill shot on Pernell McPhee and, and dropping him. Like, that kind of got me into my rhythm, got me into my groove. Um, and then running out there, and then I think the last, the last play was a field goal walk-off. You know, a walk-off field goal winner, you know. So I remember that very vividly coming in. It was crunch time, like no time to mess up, no time. I mean, you have to go in there and perform. And that was kind of my role that year, which I tried to revel in the best I could. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, I just couldn't figure out as I was looking back at the game, like where did you come in? Like what happened there? Uh, And Easton had a huge block in that game on a Jarek McKinnon run. And I I think that's another key part to talk about with that team. And it's something that we really um, talk about now kind of a lot with there's a running back rotation again for the first time since, you know, Delvin was drafted, but Delvin was hurt the Mm -hmm. previous week, which also, I mean, this is why this Chicago game is so important to win and to get this performance by Jarek McKinnon and Latavius Murray, because Jarek was phenomenal in this game, had a huge 58 yard touchdown run, finishes with 95 yards. The running game is overall very effective and the screen game is very effective. But when Delvin went down with the torn ACL, I I mean, I remember Mike Zimmer almost feeling like, I don't know how we're going to win, you know, with Bradford hurt and Delvin cook hurt. And he was pretty devastated as he should have been the way that Delvin looked in the first couple Mm -hmm. of weeks. I thought this was a huge game for saying like, wait a minute, guys, these other two running backs are pretty good. 
Yeah, I mean, and I think that we always knew Jarek was good, right? And Latavius, we knew was going to come as our big back, like whether Dalvin was healthy or not. You know, so it was really just filling that role of the running back by committee type thing. And I mean, we knew Jarek was great on third downs because his pass protection was excellent, still is. It's why he never comes off the field for the Chiefs, you know. But that was really kind of his coming out party of showing I can still run. Right, I'm still in every down, first and second down back. I can run between the tackles. I can pitch it and get outside. Like I can do everything. And that really was a springboard for us because we were feeling the same way, right? We knew Jarek was good, but we knew Dalvin was great, right? And so we were like, okay, like is there going to be a big drop-off? But, I mean, Jarek just got better each and every single week that year. And then when you got inside, it was short yardage. Like you knew you had just the horse Latavius behind you that was just going to take it and fall forward for two or three. You know, and so that also gave, I think, our play caller, you know, Shermer, a lot of confidence and like, okay, we need to continue to rely on the run game, right? We need to stay with it, stay with it, and we'll eventually start to pop things, which is what also took a lot of pressure off of Case um, for a few of the games. You know, there's still a lot of games we had to go out there and throw it. I mean, our run game wasn't stellar that year by any means, but it was effective. You know, and that was Tony Sperano's big thing was just efficient runs, right? Four-yard runs, four-yard runs, four-yard runs, and then we'll pop a 12 to 20. You know, and so that was the big thing with those guys is we knew we kind of lost the home run hit of Dalvin. You know, we knew Jarek had speed, but not quite that, like, second-gear burst that Dalvin had. You know, but we just knew with those two guys we had to just stay efficient, just keep the chains moving, and then just allowing us to just put first downs together. Yeah, and the screen game was such a big part of that. I, I yeah. think that – there's the it's not a very exciting take to talk about the screen game right it's whatever but man when there when you have one other teams must hate it because they're like all right we've got digs and feeling we're gonna cover everybody or we're gonna double team jefferson and then you just hit them with like a little little screen pad the vikings didn't have that tool mm-hmm. in their bag last year and i think that it really hurt them but with uh, McKinnon specifically, there was also a game later, I think on Thanksgiving, where it was essentially closed out because there was a great screen pass to Jarek McKinnon. Uh, let me circle back to, to where were you when Pat O'Donnell threw a 38-yard touchdown? The, the punter in this game, this is where Chicago was at as a team. Like They had just drafted uh, Trubisky. John Fox knows his time there is over. He dials up the punter pass. And it ends up getting you guys. That has to be the screamiest that uh, special teams coaches ever are, right? Oh, Mike Prefer went off, you know, <laughs> and he was honestly the most like crazy coach on staff. Like, and that's saying something. Like Prefer, he was a Navy helicopter pilot. Like he, and he was the nicest guy you'd ever meet until he wasn't, you know. And so, I mean, I can remember Prefer throwing things on the sideline like wanting to lose his mind. And I think, I can't remember if that was the game or there was another game where Anthony Barr said something to him and I honestly thought Prefer was going to snap his neck. You know, like Prefer just got so fiery, but oh man, he came off on the sideline just irate. And then of course he has to hear it from Zim, right? So then Zim's letting him have it and then he's letting everyone else around him have it. You know, that was, yeah, that was a, that was a top five special teams blow up moment by uh, Mike Prefer. Folks, I know you have heard me talk a ton about my Oakley sunglasses this summer, but the more I wear them, the more I like them. I went on a little summer vacation and spent a ton of time outside in the sun. And let me tell you, before these, I had to squint even when I had sunglasses on. But these matte black prism sapphire polar sunglasses protected my eyes, and I think I looked pretty great as well. I was able to stay outside for hours rather than getting beaten down by the sun 
like I have in the past. And now I am confident that when training camp comes around, I will be able to keep both eyes on all the positional battles. Oakley is changing the game, and it's time for you to discover a whole new world of possibilities. They are suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses, allowing to be an extension of yourself, an expression of your personality, more than meets the eye. So make a sunglasses upgrade today at oakley.com. Oakley even offers prism lens technology. What is that, you ask? It is a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. And if you want to know more, you can do your own research at oakley.com. When you wear Oakley, there is more than meets the eye. Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglasses, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality as well. Head on over to oakley.com for more information today. Oakley, express your style and build a look that's made for you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, uh, I mean, that, and that was the only way Chicago was scoring in this game, uh, more or less, because they, they do end up later on, just to take you through it. So at that point, it was 10-2, to 2, which also, like, Woo. great baseball score. And it, it looked like there was an opportunity to kind of close out the game because Trubisky was not going to come back. So allowing the punt throw for a touchdown. Uh, also, not only was it a punt throw for a touchdown, but it was in the perfect zone where they could obviously do a fake you know, when you're at, when you're at that like 38 yard line, 45 yard line, it's always the, well, this is where they could do a fake. So that makes it even worse that that happened. But uh, that, and after that, just to get back into order of operations, that's when Jarek hit the 58 yard touchdown run to make it 17 to nine. The bears then come back in early in the fourth quarter to tie the game at 17. And it's kind of a, a battle from there uh, at the end of the game. And at the end, Harrison Smith, and this is what I want to ask you about, gets an interception of Mitch Trubisky to set up the field goal. So basically nobody on offense has to do anything. You just got it all set up for you. But Harrison Smith in that season, was he's always been great. He's an all-pro level player. He, at the end of the day, may have a case for the Hall of Fame. To me, this was one of those moments where he, in that season, won games by himself. And I, I don't know what happened to him that season, but it like went up a level. I feel like playing off of everybody else and then his playmaking ability. I think that was the absolute peak of Harrison Smith. Yeah, you know, I would agree. I think it helped because he had so many great role players around him. You know, when you look at Harrison Smith now, he's the focal point, right? Like every week when we would have a scouting report on a defense, we would star certain guys, right? Like we can't let this guy wreck the game, right? The Aaron Donalds 
the Von Millers, right? And Harrison Smith for the Vikings right now is that star on the scouting report, right? Like we have to know where 22 is. But on that defense, he was like the third star you had to worry about because he played safety, right? The first two were like, hey, Everson, Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter and then Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks. Like those four guys can wreck this game if we don't take care of them. Like it allowed Harry to play so free. You know, he could play all over the field and he could be the eraser if one of those two guys, you know, made, took a shot and missed, but he'd be there to pick it up and also allowed him to play coverage. You know, it allowed him to not have to blitz all the time because we were getting pressure with four. We weren't having to send exotics. It allowed him to sit back there, play center field, use his speed and his range and his ball skills to find the ball, make interceptions, make big hits. And he just got, he played so free that year because he kind of got to do whatever he wanted, right? He played within the system, but he was one of those players that Zimmer was like, yeah, this is the system, but like, you're a great ball player, go make plays. Right. And I think that's what made him so great that year. And, you know, you see as more role players and more big stars have left this defense for Minnesota. He can't play as free. He can't. He has to be the racer all the time. Like he has to be the make it up guy all the time. And that's just hard to have the stats, the the things that he can do so well early in the 2016, 17, 18 seasons, you know, just because he's asked to do so much now. Ed Donatello. Take a note, my man. <laughs> Harrison Smith can do a lot of different stuff. Uh, but yeah, that, I mean, that, the, I, I also think when it came to that play, that game there, and, and I, I'm, I'm wondering how you guys came out of that game feeling because the previous season, you'd gone into Soldier Field, lost. That's the Jordan Howard game. That's the Zim's Eye Goes Pop game and uh, Norv Quits yep. game. Yep. It, it was, a house of horrors. And I remember them telling me this because the 2016 game was the first time I'd gone to soldier field to cover a game. And I remember the other reporters being like, bad stuff happens there, man. I'm like, I don't know that Philly loss. Who cares? They'll be fine. This team stinks. And And, uh, (laughs) then it became a disaster and it was almost a disaster again. I mean, you lose this game and go to two and three and Sam's knee is messed up again you're just it's like our pets heads are falling off type of situation Mm -hmm. I think there would have been panic at that point had you lost that game I would agree you know I think a lot of it would reverted back to like oh boy here we go again 2016 versus the ability to like hey we fought through some really crazy stuff that happened right I mean, not often does a team score on special teams that you don't win the game. Like, that's a huge percentage piece of, you know, I'm sure you could find out what does that stat mean for if you get a a special team score, like your odds of winning actually go way up, you know? And so, like, to have that, to have a switch quarterback change in the middle, you know, all that stuff going on, like, it just gave us confidence that we can overcome adversity, you know? And a team that can feel like no matter the situation, no matter what we get put in, we can find a way to win – Like, that's a powerful thing. And you see teams every single year that start slow, and then in the middle of each season, they kind of figure it out, and they almost feel like, hey, we only are going to be able to beat ourselves. No one can beat us. And I think we kind of came out of that game a little bit with that mantra of like, hey, if we don't beat ourselves, we're good enough to beat anyone. And I think that was the feeling as we left Soldier Field was like, man, that was ugly. It wasn't good, but we found a way to win. And that's all that matters. At the end of the day, the W's and the L's are all that matters. And that's the kind of the, men- the mantra and the mindset that we approach the rest of that year with. It is so crazy in football how that works, right? I mean, 
baseball, hockey, basketball, they play so many games that you can try to pinpoint a moment. You can try to pinpoint a field goal, an interception, whatever, uh, or, or whatever the version is, a three-pointer, a game-winning shot. But the next night, you might just have it all disappear. You might hit a game-winning shot, and everyone's like, yeah, we're back. And then the next night, you just lose because it's basketball. Uh, with football, though, you can really go back and sift through and say, this was a game that really acted as a slingshot. And then the next week, which we will get into now as well, because you played the next week against mm-hmm. the Green Bay, where it became clear that you were winning the division more likely than not. Detroit, though, looked very good early in that season and faded toward the end. Um, but it wasn't going to be Green Bay. I want to know where you were standing. Did you see when Anthony Barr hit Aaron Rodgers? Uh, I mean, what, what, what was your uh, re- you know memory of that? Yeah, honestly, I didn't see it because we were on the sideline, uh, no sitting down as an old lineman going over. But you heard the collective roar of U.S. Bank to where like that's a roar of a turnover, or that's the roar of like a big hit or something. Where like everyone kind of stops, even Sperano, you kind of stop and everyone does this one where they look up at the big board like what just happened, right? Or like grab your helmet, like do I need to run out on the field or whatever it was? And then you looked up and you're watching the replay, and then you're like, oh, oh, he's not getting up. Right. And that that in itself, and I'm not advocating for players getting hurt, but there is something about when you watch the star quarterback of the opposing team go down, there's a little bit of a fire that ignites in everyone on that team like, hey, they're in a corner. They're in a corner like they're either going to come out swinging or we can go put our foot on this and just end this right now. Right. And that was kind of the thought process of like, hey, they're all world quarterback is out. Right. Like he's he's not coming back the way he was holding his arm, walking off. You're like, that is not something that is like, hey, go go throw a few times on the sideline and you'll be back to go, you know. And then so we knew like, okay, they're wounded animals right now. Like, let's go out there and just put our foot down and just try and roll over this and make a statement. And then again, just keep building momentum, building confidence. And I that's I mean, I really do remember watching him walk off the field. We all kind of looked at each other like this is good. This is good for us. Bad for him, but very good for us. (laughs) Yeah, it's good for you because. I mean, he's still at that point in his career where, uh, well, I guess he's he still is. I'm not. Ca- he still is. Yeah, I'm not counting him out uh, by any means. But uh, at that point, that Green Bay team was still pretty good. They faded a little bit in '18, and then they had to, you know, fire McCarthy, reset everything, and so forth. But uh, in '17, they were still very much viewed as the favorite to win the division. And the minute he goes down, all of a sudden they're not. Uh, That play in particular became this kind of thing. I mean, not just the internet. There's always going to be people on the internet freaking out about different stuff. But Rodgers went on Letterman or Leno or some national TV show and said Anthony Barr was a dirty hit. He didn't have to do it. This also sparked the can't land on a dude with your weight which is almost impossible to do. I, I'm, I am amazed. I'm astounded. I was jogging the other day and I fell down and I just like tripped and I kind of like it. I did a little bit of enough of a barrel roll to not really harm myself. And I thought at, at lightning speed, defensive ends and outside linebackers are supposed to tackle someone and then be like, Nope, I'm rolling off at the last end. Like they're in the matrix or something. But at the time, it technically was not a dirty play according to the rules. Uh, But how much, I guess, were you uh, guys aware of what a thing it was becoming for him? Because he was getting all sorts of attacks constantly from Packers fans, in part because Rodgers was stoking the fire. 
Oh, we used to sit around his locker and he'd read the the threats he was getting from Packers fans. We thought it was hilarious, right? Like people were so upset with him. Like they, I mean, you would have thought that Anthony Barr like went head off and like held it up in the center. It was like ah, like Roman days, right? Like it no, it was just a hit, right? It was just a hit, and I think that everyone in the NFL also agreed. You know, I, I think that no one in the NFL viewed Anthony Barr as a dirty player because of that hit, right? Like, no one else came out and defended Rodgers that I can remember that was in the NFL that was like, oh, yeah, shouldn't have done it. Completely dirty hit, right? Like, and so for us, it was like, okay, let the let the people talk. Let them do what they want. Like, it doesn't affect us because we know it wasn't dirty. He didn't even get fined for it, you know? So for us, we used to, we kind of used it as a joke and we kind of would look at it and be like, oh, look at this guy, like, Oh, and to be like, oh, got another DM, right? Like we'd all huddle around and read the DM. But <laughs> like for us, it, it never got viewed as that way. And it was just kind of outside noise. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. I did wonder, because look, it doesn't feel good for anybody to get abused like that, the way that Anthony Barr was. And he definitely let his whole body weight fall on him, but there was no rule to not let your whole body weight fall on him. Right. Um, and you know what? You see that play about 50 times a week or you used to, and the guy usually doesn't break his collarbone, but because right. it was Rodgers and because it was kind of a big game, divisional game, Vikings and Packers, that's where it became a thing. I think that that rule has its heart in the right place to try to keep quarterbacks healthy. Football's not great when quarterbacks are hurt all the time, as Brett Hundley would soon prove in this game that it's not good. Uh, but here's one thing. So you play this entire game, but I don't know how much you remember this. There there was not an instant like Rodgers is hurt. We win. This was actually a grind really early in that game because the Packers had a very good defense mm -hmm. and it kind of did turn into a fight. And this sort of speaks to the like Case Keenum still throwing a lot of short passes, kind of playing conservative. And it took a while to get that momentum going in this game. Yeah, you know, I can remember we really wanted to establish the run. I mean, obviously, when you're playing against Aaron Rodgers, the whole game plan is keep the ball out of his hands, <laughs> right? Like, he can't score and he can't carve you up if he is on the sideline, right? So we went into that game plan with really relying on the run, really being like, hey, control the clock, control first downs. If we have to punt, let's make sure we make Aaron go 90 instead of having to make him go 50 or 60. You know, so that whole game plan was predicated on Jarek McKinnon, Latavius Murray, you know, but that's also for us, the short passing game was just more of an extension of the run game, right? Like, hey, if they want to load the box because they know this here, that's why, hey, Kyle Rudolph, where are you? Turn around at eight yards and just catch this ball. You know, that was a big piece of it. And then also, I think we had a few short passes in that game, like slants to Diggs and Thielen that ended up going for 18, 20, you know. And so that was still also, I think at that point, that was Case's first full week. Um, you know, maybe second. I think Case had the full week before Pittsburgh too. But you know, Case is like really full week of practice of being the starter, like being the guy, right? So him and Shermer and you know all of us are starting to try and figure out, okay, what is our offense going to look like now, right? Like what are we? Because with Spradford, it was like we could huck it all over the yard. Like, he can put the ball anywhere he wants. He can put it, I mean, if it's five inches outside, he's going to put it five inches outside, you know. And Case had a good arm, and he had he had good accuracy, but not the deep shot accuracy like Sam had. You know, so that whole week was us just kind of morphing and finding, okay, what do we want to be? And it really was, hey, let's establish a run. Let's do some short passing concepts and let Case create with his legs. 
This was a game too where, uh, yeah, eventually uh, Jarek McKinnon once again is a part, a huge part of this catches 27 yard touchdown on a short pass. And uh, Latavius Murray is an interesting one as well to talk about here because he had not yet got going. And I, when I think about winning teams, I always kind of come back to this one. And sometimes, yeah, you got Mahomes or whatever. And, you know, the, everybody's going to look better when you got Mahomes. Yes. But when I think about how many people it takes, like how many good players it takes. Like here's Jarek, who's the number two running back at the time. And he's got to step up and win a game for you in Chicago and then play a huge role in winning this game against Green Bay because they had a good enough defense that they could have just shut out Case and won this game with almost no offense. Mm-hmm. They got enough. Uh, Hundley certainly helped with three interceptions, but they got enough early in that game where this was not decided quickly. It was uh, kind of a slow burn where eventually you ran away from them. But then Latavius Murray was struggling still in this game. He runs 15 times for 28 yards. And then later in the season, I think it's the Baltimore game where he really breaks out because he had had that offseason injury that slowed him down from the outset, and he finally gets going. So it kind of had to be somebody different all the time when you're in a situation like this. And I, I kind of forgotten that Latavius got off to such a slow start that we were at his locker and like, what's going on with you, man? You're averaging like two yards a carrot. Yeah. I mean, we all knew that he was, you know, we were like, okay, we've seen this guy do it in Oakland time and time and time again. He's got the power to take it. He's got the speed to go, you know, and Tony was with him in Oakland, Sperano, you know, so Tony was a big, uh, uh, Latavius fan you know and so Tony was really the guy that drove the like let's just keep him keep him going keep him with it like he's gonna he's gonna figure it out he's gonna figure it out you know and so that was a big reason why we just kind of stuck with him because we knew we were gonna need him down the stretch you know when you lose Dalvin you know your running back room already gets smaller and especially when you lose him so early in the year like running backs don't stay healthy all year it's just not a thing they just they take such a beating that you know you have to have a multi multi running backs that can come in and not have a big drop off you know and so with the success of Jarek McKinnon we knew we were going to need another running back at one point in that year that was going to be able to come in and shoulder the load you know and so i think for him he knew he was getting frustrated like it was no secret he was frustrated too but we just trusted him we just stuck with him we're like you're going to get it you're going to figure it out and eventually he did and he was a big reason why we had the run we did towards the end of the year yeah, for sure. And I always respected the fact that he was at his locker every week talking about that through some of the tougher times, because a lot of times what you see with players is if it's getting a little bit hard, then they're nowhere to be found. Yes. And then they have a good game. And then, oh, all of a sudden they're re- Anybody want to talk to me? Like, uh, I will never forget in the 2016 season, Laquan Treadwell holding a I think it was about a 12 to 14 minute and you know how you've been a part of those before. They usually last like three, four minutes. Yeah. It's like there's only so many questions to ask. But uh, he, it was like a 10-minute scrum with him after he caught his first pass. Uh, and that was the only pass he caught all season. <laughs> that was, but he was there and he was ready to talk Gosh, about it. that was such a dumpster fire. That was <laughs> such a dumpster fire, dude. I'll never forget when he came. He's like, I don't play special teams. I'm a first-rounder. That was my first moment where I was like, oh. This is not going to work. This this just this just isn't this just isn't going to work out. Like we knew from that quote right there is like okay, I see how this is going to be, and that is how it was. Yep, that's uh, how it went. Yeah, that's how it was, and that's an underrated thing. And Latavius Murray ties into him because it, on the spectrum of gets it, 
Like Latavius Murray is the elite, elite, elite of gets it, like mm-hmm. professional uh, from, you know, top I mean, to bottom. He's still in the league, isn't he? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I so think, he's uh, still doing it. Yeah. I think Buffalo signed him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's, and that's the reason why. Like, people aren't signing Latavius Murray to be their feature back. They're bringing him in because he gets it. He's a true pro and he can mentor a room. And then when you really need him, he can step in. You know, guys like that, Joe Berger's a great example of a guy like that, right? Like every team needs guys like that, especially when you have a young room, right? When you have a young room, having vets that can be a second coach in the room and also be productive on the field still are worth their weight in gold. Yeah, no, for sure. And I I, I mean, you always have to respect, especially a running back who can hang around for this many years, mm-hmm. uh, because if, if you don't have all those things that you mentioned, and Latavius, great pass blocker, you know, all those things uh, that... And also, I don't know if you remember that. No, you were probably playing. You don't remember this. He made the most aware play I've ever seen where Kirk Cousins panicked in 2018 in Seattle and turned around and threw it overhand backwards to him. And he caught it and like ran for two yards. I would have never in a million years expected the quarterback to ever turn around and throw it directly back to me. But Latavius snatched it. It was like, how did he even expect that? But that's a totally different point. Some, sometime I'll show you that play. It's incredible. Love it. But back to, back to our game at hand in 2017. This was a serious grind, though, because McKinnon scores again, but the Packers hold it close in the first half. And it's three Kai Forbath field goals that get to the end of the game. So not finishing out scores. And I remember being in the locker room after this game because, again, Harrison Smith was incredibly dominant in this game. Uh, Brett Hundley, it was a serious struggle. The guy had basically never played because he was behind Aaron Rodgers and then has to come in and play the Vikings defense at U.S. Bank Stadium uh, with the crowd going insane because it's Vikings Packers. So he didn't have much of a chance. But I remember being in the locker room after this game and thinking – I don't know if I buy this team because of what we saw in the second half. It wasn't the offense was not really cooking. It was just kind of grinding out enough. Can you really win if it's just grinding out enough? But they're going to win the division because the Packers are now out. Like as of today, they are out. And I also thought, too, that this was a turning point for Mike Zimmer keeping his job because it's hard to say it's like hard to remember this now because they went to the NFC championship. But at at early start of the season, it's a little rocky coming off 2016. We're going, if this thing goes sideways, if they lose some bad games here, Zimmer could be on the hot seat pretty fast. And as soon as Rodgers went down, it's like, this division might be just theirs. Uh, I don't know if you guys would have had any sense of how long Rodgers was going to be out. But when you beat Green Bay at home to go to four and two, there had to be a sense that this, like, you should be in line, even with Case. Uh, to win a lot of games yeah I mean four and two two and oh in the division at that point I believe right like or maybe were we three and oh two and one two and, two one. and one yeah we had lost to Detroit right so we were two and one in the division and you look at it like okay we've got our first round of division games behind us we went two and one right like Rodgers is going to be hurt like we played really poorly against the Bears and still found a way to win like that's not a great football team like we knew we were going to be have to battle with Detroit but we for sure at that point, again, we were like, we found another way to win, right? It wasn't ugly. It wasn't pretty by any means. Our defense carried us, right? I'm looking at it from an offensive perspective. Like, if we can just keep getting better, we're going to win a lot of football games. And we were still getting better, right? And like I said, we were still learning what Case was as a quarterback, still learning the best run concepts that Jarek and Latavius could tag team back and forth, right? Like, we were still learning. We, we left that game with a... You know, after Chicago, like I said, we felt like, okay, we can win these games. But then when you do it again, 
right? And this is the great, I use this quote all the time talking to guys like, you know, Mike Zimmer had a great quote to talk about like how to win championships. He's like, first you learn how to practice, then you learn how to win, then you learn how to handle winning, then you learn how to become a champion. You know, I think that game in Chicago was us learning how to handle winning. We learned how to handle how to win a tough game and then did it again, right? So it wasn't like a flaw. It wasn't a fluke. Like, we put a stamp on it. Like, we can do this week in and week out. And then from there on, it was just kind of a, a run of we're just going to keep learning how to win, learning how to practice, and just being better and better and better. Ended up becoming NFC North champions. And Case became way better than any yes. of us would have dreamed. Yes. I mean, right? Like, his just comfort in that million office. $36 million to Denver better. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right, right. Really, in reality, I, that's what that year did for him. It was, it was like nothing I've ever seen. I mean, you do see occasionally journeymen pop up and play really well, but he was just every single throw that fluttered through the air landed in the hands of Thielen or Diggs, including the Minneapolis miracle. And so I guess, uh, you know, when I think of this, these two games back to back, that's, I think of these kind of set the track for how this team was likely to win. And then what happened with case would have been, completely unforeseen um, just in the big picture of 2017. I mean, we talk about it a lot because it's one of the greatest seasons in Vikings history and the NFC championship appearance. I guess what, what is it that kind of sticks with you about that season? I mean, uh, there's probably a hundred things because you were a big part of that team. You got to play a lot that year and um, you know, it, it accomplished so much, but is there something from that season that you've sort of taken with you into yeah, the rest of your career, into your post-career career, like all those things. It was the guys. It was the team. You know, I had been a part of a lot of teams, college, NFL, and, like, I went on to be part of the Bills and the, Car- the Cardinals, the Panthers, you know, post that. There was never a locker room that was as close as that 2017 team was. You know, I think there was a combination of things of because we had so much turnover from 2016, not turnover, so much retention from 2016. We had been through so much in 16 together as a group, you know, and then to come into 17 and have those battles and those adversities hit early on, you know, it really galvanized us as a team, you know, and I was never part of another team that was that close, that those guys loved each other the way we had. And I know it's kind of a cheesy thing to say, but like we played for each other. And when you play for each other and it's a group of guys that want to just go out there and fight and practice hard and push each other and become better and hold each other accountable, like that's how the great teams become great. And that team that year had all the right pieces from the starters down to the role players that were all bought in. And that is something that I've never been – I mean, it wasn't even like that in college. You know, like that team was just that special and it's why we had the success when – we didn't have as much talent as offense as some of the teams that made the playoff runs, right? We didn't have that, but we had the togetherness. We had the complimentary football of when one group was lacking, the other one picked the other one up, and there was never a ton of animosity between offense, defense, defense, special teams. Like, there wasn't a ton of finger-pointing going on because we all had so much respect and love for each other as teammates. You know, so that, that for me, I tell people all the time, like, that team was just special. It was just different inside those walls compared to what people saw on the outside and I think that was really the main driver of the success that we had that year yeah I totally agree and I think when we were talking about how Latavius Murray gets it um there were a lot of guys who did I I mean almost the entire thing and I mean even you have to give Treadwell that he came along in that season and uh maybe okay well he at least was quelled uh, uh as far as the impact I mean 
I, there, a hockey scout told me you can have like one jackass in the room if you have a lot of good leadership because that guy will just shut up. So maybe there was a little bit of that, but um, I don't mean to give him any credit for 2017, but he did have three catches against the Packers. Mm-hmm. I just mean that you could go guy to guy and yes. tell the story of their professionalism. You know, Terrence Newman is a really good example mm-hmm. of this um, as a great leader who would have film sessions with the corners and stuff like that. And some of the younger players came along in their professionalism, Xavier Rhodes, you know, that year. Uh, and you saw Trey Wayans and a lot, a lot of players like that. Right. So yeah, the bond of that team uh, was something really special. I saw some of it last year, but I think that the 17 team knew it was really good. I think last year's team knew all the problems that existed were eventually going to get them. Um, so I guess that is kind of the difference. Well, this was really fun, man. Uh, let me just ask you one quick question before we wrap on this. How you feeling about this team? It's been a whole off season. You know, you've been very busy. You're running around recruiting offensive linemen and stuff, things like that, doing agent stuff. But uh, they made a lot of moves. A lot of guys you know are no longer on the team. Uh, so how you feeling about the direction? I have no idea. I think it, I really don't. You know, I look at this team and see so many new names, but then same some old names that we all know oh way too well. You know, and so for me. I don't necessarily know if we fixed a lot of the issues, but I do think that we're going to try. You know, I think that we looked at some of the issues we had on defense. We looked at some of the holes that we had and said, okay, we're going to try something new. Now, we don't know if that's going to work until week one, but at least I think that this staff was able to identify problems and not just be like, oh, guys will just get better, right? Like, I think they were like, we need to fix certain pieces. We'll go get certain pieces. We'll put it in there. We'll make it happen, you know, and with this offensive line being the two starting tackles, hopefully coming back, being studs, you know, you're going to give yourself a chance to win with Kirk Cousins back there, and you have the best receiver in football. Like, so offensively, I'm not terribly concerned that this is going to go one way or the other. You know, Dalvin was good last year. I don't think he was a complete difference maker. There were certain times in the year he was, you know, but I think Alexander Madison's going to step into that role well. It's just still for me, it's the pass rush and the ability to cover on the back end that are huge question marks. You know, we did some things to it, but they're just going to be things we're going to have to watch through camp and watch early part of this year of what did we do to address those problems. I'm not sure what this team's going to look like. Yeah, and that's the fun part, I think, because a lot of times we did. We Right yes. now, we could pretty much lay out what was going to happen, and I, I don't know what's going to happen now. Do you think they'll trade Daniel Hunter? I wouldn't if I was them, but I could see them needing to for money purposes or, you know, whatever it may be on the business side of it. But I mean, losing, you lose to Darius Smith, you lose to Neil Hunter, like you better have something in the, something cooking behind the scenes of someone you have a ton of faith to be able to get to the quarterback in. Cause if you ship those two guys out and you don't have a bunch of sacks next year, there's only be one person that's getting looked at. And that's, uh, that's the GM. Yeah, I think that it all depends on your perspective on that, because if they trade them away and you're sort of playing the money ball game, like long term perspective, developing defensive ends or outside linebackers, seeing if there's anything there. And then if there isn't, then, you know, you have to get it in the future. But there's also the when you clear out this much talent and you have a drop off, there's a lot of people who are going to be like, uh, what you doing there? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's kind of, are you seeing the bigger picture with all the moves 
over a three-year type of window versus one. And But Daniil Hunter is not so old that we talk about, well, you know, you got to get rid of him because he's old right. or something he's like that. He's still young, so. man. I mean, he came in the league at 20 years old. When they went on their rookie dinner, like he couldn't buy the alcohol. Like <laughs> someone else had to buy the alcohol and he had to pay them back because it was illegal for him to buy it. So he's still very much a young man. Yeah, it's amazing. So anyway, well, Jeremiah, great to get together with you. I hope you enjoy the rest of your summer and we will definitely uh, do it again soon. We'll be back podcasting for sure. But, uh, you know, get, get, get some rays, man. I mean, you still look pretty pale. You look like you've been working too much. So you got to get some sun, get a vacation in there. Come on. I've been locked in this dungeon, man. I'm going to try and get out. August will be the month I'll get out and try and swing the sticks a little bit, work on the golf game and uh, hit the pool with the kids. Sounds good, man. Well, thanks again. This was really fun, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Appreciate it, guys.